sports that of course includes the NFL week six Washington and Oregon going and and in the MLB playoffs this is Brandon's world now of course we're in collaboration with the one and only voltage live my social media links are in the description below what is also in the description below is the link to championship rings which of course appears tonight Tuesday nights with my partner Josh Unger 6 p.m eastern time over there, I will be discussing my thoughts in the MLB playoffs. I will give my thoughts on Washington. Are they potentially now the number one team in college football after knocking off Oregon? Here today on the Brands World Podcast, we're going to be focusing on week six in the National Football Week. But before I get there, I do have to talk about some wrestling because, folks, AEW fans are once again after me. Yes, they are after Brandon Lewis. They are after the executive producer, the founder, the host of Brandon's World. Maybe I started it, but I'm also going to finish it. Because as I covered on Thursday's show, AEW got crushed by NXT in the Tuesday Night War. Now, those of you that do know that my favorite wrestler of all time, the rated R superstar Edge, a.k.a. Adam Copeland, has jumped ship from WWE to AEW. I know a lot of you probably thought that I was going to become a fan of AEW, which, of course, I have criticized uh, over the last two years of basically being WCW white, uh, not investing in their own superstars, not being captivating television, unlike WWE. And so Tony Khan, who I've criticized as, as not being a grown-up uh, and as a guy who was basically immature, um, you know, went on Twitter uh, basically all week last week, about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and basically criticized WWE, said it was war, uh, pretty much had a meltdown over AEW getting only 600,000 viewers in that Tuesday night war against NXT. And I responded with a tweet that now has about 13,000 views and almost 300 likes uh, that is really gaining traction. And it basically said that Tony Khan um, is that kid that is 10 years old and he loses at a video game fair and square and claims that he lost because he cheated and then he has a meltdown. Uh, it is not professional for for a leader of a company, no matter what company it is, no matter what business you are, to go on the internet and have a complete meltdown. And as you can see by the picture here in my virtual background, this is AEW Collision. This is a look at the hard cam side of AEW Collision while Edge was in the ring on Saturday night. And you can see if you're watching on YouTube, uh, it is completely empty. Obviously, unlike WWE, which is selling out arenas, AAI, you know, ticket sales, merchandise, everything in WWE is going up and up and up. Where AEW, which was such a odd promotion 40 years ago, keeps going down, down, down. And AEW reminds me of TNA. They remind me of WCW. This is the problem with every single wrestling company that is not WWE. They try to be WWE, they try to make it about WWE, they try to think they're different, and then when they don't end the sustained success that WWE has, 
because WWE has the best writing team. They have the best characters. They have the best wrestling. They know how to reinvigorate the wheel. They know how to give you professional wrestling. They know how to give you sports entertainment. They know how to give you great matches. They know how to give you great character work. Uh, and so with all that involved, WWE may have its down periods, but it also has, it, has its up periods. And now they have one of the best rosters they've ever had. As we keep saying here on this show, when you have Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, Sami Zayn, Evan Owens, L.A. Knight as five legitimate white hot baby faces to go with the number one EO in all of the wrestling industry, the tribal chief, Roman Reigns, with everything else going on in WWE, and not only the men's, the women's division, the tag team division, WWE now with Triple H, which I talked about you know, on uh, Thursday as well, being officially in charge of being the head of creative. WWE is in a very good spot right now, and they don't boast about their, their ratings on social media. They don't try to win the the internet. They don't try to win the hardcore wrestling fan base that AEW tries to win. And that is really the difference. WWE, it may be PG, and I understand some people don't love it, uh, but they do appeal to the masses. They appeal to kids. They appeal to adults. They appeal to teenagers. And AEW is really appealing to that rebel fan base uh, that just dis guarded WWE, you know, over the last 20 years, ever since the Monday Night War that did not like Vince McMahon's booking. And AEW generally has a fan base of, I would say, between about 400 and 500 loyal AEW people. And that is about it. I mean, you, you could see by this picture here, the shows are not selling. They had record low uh, attendance. Uh, AEW, Dynamite, Collision, and Rampage last week combined could not outsell a WWE house show. Uh, and that is concerning to me. And again, I don't really know what the fix is for AEW right now. Besides, you got to get Tony on out of creative. We know Brian Danielson is a great uh, is a great wrestling mind. I almost said great WWE mind, but he is truly a great wrestling mind. We know he worked with the WWE creative team, which is what I was trying to get to at my previous point. Uh, in 2020, during the pandemic, Tony Khan has been on record saying if he could never run the company, he'd give it to Brian Danielson. I think AEW needs a drastic change. As much as Edge is my favorite wrestler of all time, he's not bringing in viewers to AEW. And I said it, AEW was never as hot as All Out 2021 when Brian Danielson, Adam Cole came to the company after CM Punk's first match back after seven years that night in Chicago. Ever since that moment, they've never been as cold. The CM Punk incident put a lot of negativity on the product. They've had some bad moments since then, including a moment, um, you know, obviously this Tuesday night on Dynamite. And really, AEW just has a lot of bad publicity right now. They can't turn it around. I'm not here saying that they cannot, but it is going to be a challenge. Now, before I get to all of the week six NFL action, I do want to discuss officiating in the National Football League because I noticed it this week more than any other week in the NFL. This week, there was only two teams, the Miami Dolphins and the Jacksonville Jaguars, that scored over 30 points. And for a league that's supposed to be an, an offensive league, that is an issue because we don't have a lot of great defenses. San Francisco, Cleveland, the Jets, 
And obviously, Philadelphia is very good. Buffalo, I would say, is very good. Kansas City, I would say, is very good. We've got six very good to elite defenses in the NFL. That's it. I would also say we have about six very good to elite offenses in the NFL. Buffalo, Miami, Philadelphia, Kansas City, San Francisco. The Chargers probably are up there. You know, your usual suspects. It's about six or seven. Maybe Minnesota has a good offense. You could make that argument. But it's about six. Cincinnati, I'm sorry. So put them up there, obviously, with Burrow and Chase. So it's the usual suspects. And then, you know, you have your Baltimore's, you know, that they're like above average or not great. I would put Dallas in that category. Then, obviously, you have your average and your below average. Like, I'm not going to go for every team and rank their offense and defenses. But we know, generally, there's six or seven very good offenses or six or seven very good defenses. And the rest are sort of either very good or decent or just outright terrible for, like, one or two teams in the week. But if you notice this week in the NFL, the games went on a lot longer. Monday night football game last night uh, obviously took almost four hours. Brown-San Francisco took almost four hours. Eagles-Jets, you know, took almost three and a half hours. There are games this weekend and throughout the entire league. I mean, good gracious, that Baltimore-Tennessee game felt like it would never end. And if you notice, the games this weekend got longer. And I know for the Browns Niners specifically, there were 24 accepted penalties in that game. There were obviously more declined penalties, 12 accepted on each team. That is a bad one. Um, We know in the National Football League, there is holding on every play. And obviously, it was a big discussion in the Giants-Bills game Sunday night about whether it's P.I., whether whether it's a hold. We saw some bad roughing the passer penalties called from San Francisco game. We saw that miss, you know, a foul where they called, um, you know, the illegal contact of the head, personal foul, even though it, it wasn't to the head, it was to the shoulder. There's a lot missing right now in the National Football League. They're throwing a ton more flags on the defense side of the ball, whether it's holding on the defensive line, whether it's a lot of illegal contact. It almost feels like every pass point now, um, you know, we are getting a lot more defensive holding or illegal contact. It's really slowing the game down. Offensively, we're getting a ton of ineligible man downfield from the RPOs. I know in college, they give you up to three yards in the line of scrimmage. NFL, it's obviously only one yard. They are calling, in my opinion, defensive holding and ineligible man downfield on the offense way too much in the National Football League. We know there is holding on every single play on the offensive and defensive lines. We know corners want to get grabby. But what bothers me is when the NFL is not consistent. They will call all these flags that we've seen all game long for three and a half quarters. And then with the game on the line, what we saw Giants-Buffalo, a, a call that they have made all night long, and even worse calls they deemed holding, that play at the end of the game, they did not call it. And this is why, as a Philadelphia Eagles fan, I said back in February, I was not upset as much about the Eagles losing the Super Bowl as I was upset about them making that call on a hold on James Bradbury because they did not call him for a holding, which was a significantly worse hold in the first quarter, but they get him in the fourth quarter. It's inconsistent officiating. When you are inconsistent as an official, and we say this across all weeks, 
whether they call fouls a block or a charge or what's conduct in the NBA, whether it's balls or strikes in baseball, as an umpire, as an official, as a referee, your job is to make the correct call. Your job is also to be consistent. We know that there's human error. Everybody has different interpretation of what a foul is. Everybody has a different interpretation of what a ball or a strike is. Everybody has a different interpretation of what pass interference is or what holding is or, you know, what's deemed illegal contact, the five, six-yard gray area. We know in officiating there's a lot of gray area. What we ask is don't decide in the middle of the game you're going to change your gray area because it's affecting games, and by that it's affecting wins and losses. By that it's affecting seasons. By that it's affecting jobs, and it's affecting the product. The NFL, and I appraise the NFL, it is the best sports league in the world by far. It has a calendar set up. It's the most urgent. It's the best football on the planet. No matter what, how good college football can be with their quarterbacks, the NFL will always be the best football on the planet because it's the best in the world of what they do, professional athletes. Because of that, the officials have almost ruined the game. There were some games... On Sunday, and listen, I've said at the time, some offenses in the NFL are just unwatchable. You know, New England, the Giants at times, there are bad football teams. Arizona is going to become a bad football team that we all like the way they play the first month of the season. We know they're not a very good football team. Chicago without Justin Fields is going to be a mess, obviously, offensively. We know there are some bad football teams out there, but you're making it hard to watch. When how many times, especially like the Baltimore-Tennessee game in London, there's two minutes left and it takes a half an hour. We discussed this a lot when it came to the NBA and their two-minute rule. They go to the board, they review every play. Two minutes, less two minutes of a basketball game took a half hour to 45 minutes to complete. It's turning into that in the National Football League. It's a bad look. I think they need to weigh out the rub in the pass calls. I think there were too many you know, were, were they protected the body weight once again of the quarterback? And for some of these guys, the Michael Pierce call, uh, I thought was ridiculous. I mean, the big guy, all he does is touch him, bring him to the ground because he's a lot bigger than Malik Willis. They for the flag. I didn't understand that at all. I think that defensive coaches need to sort of teach these corners. Don't be holding the jersey at the top of the route every single point the line of scrimmage because that is going to be called a hold. So some of that is coaching. Some of it is officiating. I think the NFL needs to have a game. It's always nice where you go for a game and it's, you know, four penalties on one side, two penalties on the other. There is no way we can go for every single NFL game. And every team this week at Belmont was committing 15 penalties because every single pass play was either a wheel contact or a hold on either the defensive back or an offensive lineman or an eligible man downfield on a screen pass or an RPO. I understand it is a point of emphasis this year for the NFL. They do not want their defensive backs to cause holding because they want the offense to be freed up. They want explosive plays, and I get it. But what you've done by creating all these flags is you are actually preventing the offense from getting their big plays because they're so frustrated. They feel they can't go down the field. And so I think because of that, we are getting a lot more low-scoring games. As I said Miami, Jacksonville, the only two teams in the whole week this week to put up over 30 points. 
it wasn't a great week of football, and it was one of the worst weeks in the NFL I've seen in a long time from an officiating standpoint. Dean Buendino, you know, you're seeing the head of officiating. He's now at Fox. Mike Pereira has been dealing with a back injury, who's also at Fox. Uh, I think that the NFL needs a new head of officiating. I think that they need a new emphasis because that was one of the worst officiatings I've ever seen across the week in my 25-plus years of life. With that, let's get into week six of the NFL. Kicking things off with Thursday Night Football featuring the Denver Broncos and the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs ended up winning this game 19-8. Kansas City did not look great on Thursday night. They barely covered the 10 and a, and a half point line. I said going into the week, you know, I thought Denver had a good chance to cover the 10 points just because teams on Thursday night football do not usually look great. When you get players out of their routine, uh, this is exactly what's what's going to happen. I'm not concerned about Kansas City. Their defense is still very good. We know offensively Mahomes is going to figure it out. They may need to go at the trade deadline and get a Chris Godwin or get a Jerry Judy, even though I don't think Denver would trade within their division to their division rival. Uh, I think they need one more receiver to go opposite of Travis Kelsey because Woke Kelsey is great, and he was getting wide open all Thursday night. Uh, their offense this year is not explosive. They're going to have to nickel and dime you, essentially, all the way down the field. The good news for Kansas City is their defense is good, and Denver, I don't know what they're going to do. They're going to have to eat that cap in for a year. They're going to have to move off Russell Wilson. I would not move off Jerry Judy or Corwin Sutton. This situation in Denver is almost like the situation we had in Tampa. Obviously, Tom Brady leagues, they bring in Baker Mayfield. There was a lot of questions of, do they move off some of their defensive pieces? Do they move off Mike Evans? Do they move off Chris Godwin? To this point, they have not. I think, you know, if Denver's trying, trying to get a quarterback, you want as many weapons for that quarterback as possible. They have a good left tackle in Garrett Bowles. They need to use, you know, free agency and the draft to upgrade their defensive pieces. But I think Sean Payton has made it very clear they're going to have a new quarterback in Denver in 2024. Broncos country, it is over for Russell Wilson. Now, Baltimore looked very good now that they were able to catch the ball. They beat Tennessee 24-16. to um, Wake Willis obviously came, came in for Tennessee late in the fourth quarter. When he did throw, and at times is very good, uh, but he wasn't as decisive at getting rid of the football as you would want him to be. I'll be interested to see as Tennessee now goes on their bye, what they do with with Ryan Tannehill. They're two and four. Their offense has not looked great. Do they decide to go to Malik Willis or or even the kid Will Levis out of Kentucky and see what they have in him for the rest of the season? Baltimore, you know, they flew over to London a lot earlier. It seems like teams have more success when they fly over early in the week versus later in the week. They took it to Tennessee. Lamar Jackson played very well, and they look like to me, along with Cincinnati, you know, and Cleveland, who we're about to get to. That's a three-team dog fight because I'm not going to include Pittsburgh because I don't think Pittsburgh has the offensive personnel to do it in the AFC North. 
How about the Browns? I called it on Thursday. I said if Watson was going to play, I'd pick the Browns. I sort of backed off it because I didn't know how well P.J. Walker was going to play. But I thought the Browns came up with a plan to protect P.J. Walker off the bye a lot better than they did Dorian Thompson Robinson in that game against Baltimore. I thought the Browns' defense was sensational. That was one of the best defensive performances in the history of Cleveland Browns football, and I'm not joking uh, what Jim Schwartz was able to do with that San Francisco offense, and I don't want to hear about San Francisco not having Christian McCaffrey, about San Francisco not having Debo Samuel. Uh, Debo Samuel is a wide back. He's not a great wide receiver, and running back is the least important position on the offensive side of the ball. Trent Williams being out would have been a much bigger deal. I would have gave Purdy some slack for that. Uh, Trent Williams came back in the game. And overall, I thought Purdy was just off. I thought there were times he could have hit IU for big games and he just missed them. Uh, despite that, San Francisco had a chance to kick the game-winning field goal. A lot of that had to do with, once again, Bad clock management by the Browns. P.J. Walker throwing an incomplete pass and it almost an interception instead of sliding and taking more time off the clock. But I thought overall the Browns played a great game. They should celebrate. They are now 3-2 and two now with a big showdown in Indianapolis against Gardner Minshew and the crew. Browns win it 19-17. Now, I did best bet this game. I barely covered Cincinnati. They win it 17-13. The line was three. They obviously win by four. Geno Smith turned back into Geno Smith. Seattle struggled in the red zone. Cincinnati struggled to move the ball in the second half, uh, but they were able to get the victory at home. Now, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence went down in this game in the fourth quarter with a knee injury. That's concerning, knowing that they have a Thursday night game against the Saints. We'll have to know more of his status. Uh, but Gardner Minshew just, just turned the ball over here. This was a classic case of a classic Gardner Minshew game who reminds me a little bit of a smaller Baker Mayfield. You're going to get good games from Gardner Minshew. You're going to get bad games from him. That's why Indianapolis is going to be a roller coaster for the rest of this season without Anthony Richardson. They have good weapons. Uh, now they're probably going to finish with like five or six wins as opposed to seven or, or eight. You know, Minshew versus Richardson, I think is a difference of one to two wins, which will give Indianapolis a better draft pick. We know that they need more weapons, and we know that they need a couple defensive backs. But I thought overall, Jacksonville took advantage of turnovers. Their offense did stymie in the second half. I think they're going to get there. I think they'll be fine, though, by the end of the year. Even though I do not think it's fine, and I said it going into the year, I was not a believer in the Saints. Now, I did bet this game. I thought they'd pull up a low-scoring win against Houston, which turned into a low-scoring loss against Houston. C.J. Stroud did throw his first interception in this game, but in the second half, he rebounded. He looked poised. He looked calm. And Derek Carr has not looked comfortable in his Saints uniform, as I had predicted. Um, listen, I don't love Dennis Allen as a head coach. I think he's rigid. I think he's a defensive mind. And I think when you have Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, we've seen the emergence of, of Ricky Shaheed. You have Jamal Williams. You have Alvin Kamara. I would think you could be a lot more explosive on the offensive end. And they are just not that. Speaking of explosive, Miami takes care of uh, Carolina. Now, Frank Reich is going to give up a break calling duties. We'll see if that helps 
Carolina. I've been saying all year, I think the Panthers just, just need more weapons, even though they, they are 0-6, and I got them wrong this year. I thought Bryce Young would have a lot better rookie year. I'm not ready to give up on Bryce Young and Carolina yet. Adam Thielen is obviously having a great year, but they need a number one wide receiver. For Miami, we, we know when, when they're at home, they're not playing a very good defense. Uh, they can be in a track meet. This will be their toughest test of the season yet, going on the road in prime time against a very good Eagles defense that, despite the loss, played very good against the Jets uh, with most of their defense out. Now, Washington, I did call this one. I said, what's two? I said, they're going to beat Atlanta. I said, Desmond Ritter is not the guy for Atlanta. I said it going going into the year. I said, Atlanta as as the wrong quarterback. They have a lot of running backs. They have good skill position players. If Desmond Ritter is the guy, Atlanta is going to win eight, nine games. A lot of the Sharks loved Atlanta to potentially win the NFC South. I did not. To me, they're focusing too much on using Tyler Algier. I'd use more of B. John Robinson, but Sam Au is a lot like Baker Mayfield and a lot like Gardner Minshew. He's going to have his good days. He's going to have his bad days. That was a good day for Washington against not a very good Atlanta defense. Now, Minnesota-Chicago. Minnesota may have won this game. I was surprised at how Chicago came out flat. And then, obviously, the story here is Justin Fields' injury. Uh, you know, obviously, if he doesn't play, the season's practically over for Chicago. And I don't know how good Justin Fields is. He showed signs of being a very good quarterback. But as I've been saying here on the show, I don't feel like he is the answer for Chicago. Uh, New England is is a mess. They lose 21-17 against Vegas. Again, this is one of those Patriots games. Mac Jones made a terrible interception, but then he did make one good throw to Devontae Parker that was dropped down the seam. I thought New England played a better second half than what the, sh- the score indicates. But again, at the end of the day, New England is not a very good football team. Uh, now they play the Bills and Dolphins back-to-back. They're going to have one win here uh, probably for the first eight weeks of the season. And when I said New England was the best bet on the board this year at less than seven and a half wins, I was not kidding. Uh, When you take a look at the schedule and you take a look at the roster construction, again, we talk about it all the time. Vegas is winning games because they have a good pass rusher, they have a great wide receiving core, and they have a decent quarterback, and they're beating up on bad quarterbacks right now. They're not a great team, but they can beat teams like New England. They can beat teams like Green Bay. I thought New England would win this game just because they know they're playing Miami and Buffalo coming up. They knew they had to get a win here, but they just do not play well offensively enough to score enough points to win games. Rams take care of the Cardinals. Again, not a lot to say there. He kind of knew the Rams were going to take care of Arizona Detroit did not look that impressive to me. They only put up 20 points. I thought Tampa Bay gave them a good fight. Um, But at the end of the day, the Tampa offense struggled. The Lions defense is really the story of the Lions team. Yes, they have a great offensive line. Yes, Jared Goff is playing well. But last year, that did not make a difference. The difference this year is how good the Lions are playing. And you can firmly put the Lions now as the third best team in the NFC Behind Philadelphia, behind San Francisco. I think they need another year. I think they need a couple more pieces uh, up front on the defensive line. 
in that secondary, maybe one more weapon to complement Amon Ross St. Brown to be up there with Philadelphia and San Francisco. I think they're right there in that Dallas-Seattle tier right now. Uh, Philadelphia Jets, again, bad watch for Philly. It happens. Three unfortunate bounces off turnovers. One that I thought was a fumble where Dallas Goddard caught it. It kind of blew up in the air. Listen, we know Philadelphia has not played well, uh, though they scored more points this year for the first six games than they did last year. They they have more yards. Uh, they are averaging, you know, more yards a game, more yards per play. The offensive numbers look up. They're just not scoring because of the turnovers. Some of them have been on Jalen Ertz. Now, the big issue here was Lane Johnson went down. I thought that completely changed the game. We know the Jets have a good defensive line, and the Jets basically hung in there and won the game with defense, which we've seen bad teams upset good teams before. We saw Urban Meyer in Jacksonville go in there and beat Buffalo a couple of years ago. I would not be worried about it if I was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Listen, we saw the Giants with Tyrod Taylor and no receivers and Justin Pugh coming straight off the couch uh, almost beat the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, the score was 14-9. Josh Allen played a good second half, and it was kind of there. Uh, you know, Bills survived with a win. They moved forward. And then, obviously, Dallas Chargers. Chargers do not play well. Chargers are going to charge her. It was sort of a classic week uh, where the Chargers play a good opponent. They melt down at the end. Dallas executes better. And uh, obviously, Michael Parsons makes the big sack. They get the pick on Justin Herbert. They win the game 20-17. Honestly, not a lot to say about the NFL this week. It, it, it was sort of a weird, unexpected week. Again, a lot of defensive sort of calls, as I mentioned, Um, you know, just a little while ago. I do feel like they need to clean up the, the officiating. I thought that there was just a lot of bad, bad weather games, a lot of weird games, a lot of weird vibes, and not a lot of explosives. It was just one of those weeks in the NFL that I feel like we see, you know, once or twice a year where it's just upset week. But generally, the good teams rise to the good. The bad teams fall to the bad, as I've always been saying. And the money line, we went 9-6. and six. And my best bets, I only hit Cincinnati uh, and Washington. I missed the Saints, minus 1.5 against Houston. Missed Chicago covering against Minnesota, though I had a chance. And then Philadelphia, who dominated the Jets the whole game, and then obviously just let it go. Bad turnovers by J1 Hurts. I expect him to bounce back against the Dolphins next week. So with that, this was this edition of Brandon's Roar. On Thursday, we're going to have a huge show. I'm going to be talking about the MLB playoffs. I'm going to be doing my NFL Week 7 money line predictions and best bets, along with my 2023 NBA season predictions. All that and more coming up on Thursday's Brands World. I hope you guys have a great day. Once again, we are in collaboration with the one and only Voters Live. And peace.